Would you please open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4 as we continue to go through the book of Galatians and Paul takes a major turn in the epistle. I want everybody to follow along. I will do a little bit of reading out of the book of Galatians and I will read some out of the book of Hebrews today to give us some background. Excuse me. For some people here today, you will find out more about religion than you ever have in your entire life. That is my intention as we go through about 30 verses of Scripture. Uh, I'll only comment on a couple of them, but I will read and then I will explain to the best of my ability uh, exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us and why we sing. Was anybody singing today? Were you worshiping? Did you feel God in your heart? Did you sense the reality of God? Did you know He was there for you? Did you sense forgiveness? Did you sense mercy and grace? Did you sense hope? Did you sense eternal life? Do you know that God is real? Don't you know that something's much greater and grander in life than just our little, little kingdoms? Man, that's because what Christ has done. He sent the Holy Spirit today to us to cry, Abba, Father. That is the central message of the New Testament. I am starting to preach already. Give me a moment. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. I will read the first 20 verses. And then I will go into Hebrews chapter 9 and 10 just to read a couple more verses of Scripture to give some kind of substance to what's going on here. Excuse me. (coughs) Starting in verse 1 of Galatians 4. Paul says, I mean that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different than a slave. Though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until a date set by the Father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world, that is Judaism. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature that are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of this world? Whose slaves do you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me. But you received me as an angel of God. Yes, as Christ Jesus himself. What then has become of your blessing you felt? For I testify that if it was possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and have given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only for whom I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I can be present with you now, and change my tone, 
I am perplexed about you. Hebrews chapter 9, please. I'm going to read verses 8, to 9, 8 9, 10, and 14. By this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Verse 10, chapter 10, 1 to 3. For since the Old Testament law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, which is Christ, it is never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year made perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would, not have to, they would have ceased to be offered since the worshiper, having been once cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of their sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Let's pray. Father, this is your mighty religion. This is your mighty relationship. These are your mighty words, O Holy Spirit. Come and give us understanding and anointing, Father God, of the difference between the Old Testament of type and shadow and the New Testament of Abba, Father. Come and open up our hearts and open up our minds. He who is one day old in the Lord, to him who is 30 years old in the Lord, to him who is not born again, come and give us understanding. Come and rock our world from the inside, Father God. I ask that you send your Holy Spirit, Father God, and bring slaves into the kingdom of God. Make men and make women heirs of salvation. I remind you of that great atoning sacrifice that your Son gave for all, for the world, O oh God. Open up our hearts and our minds to receive the things that Paul teaches us. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. If I was to ask you to go home now and write a synopsis of what you learned, you would probably learn nothing. The Christian faith needs to be explained. God wants to be explained. He has put himself in the scriptures and he says, now go and explain who I am. This is the God we serve. And we're going to find out something just how extraordinary Jesus Christ is. How extraordinary the Holy Spirit is. How extraordinary God's plan of redemption is for all of us. It is the great equalizer. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no rich, there's no poor, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no slave, there's no free. We're all equal in Jesus Christ. We're all co-heirs. Everyone who comes by faith to Jesus Christ is an heir to the kingdom of God. God has held nothing back from any of us. God has given everything of himself to us who believe in Christ by faith. Now, if we could only believe that, we'd be one changed supernatural bunch of people, let me tell you that right now. But it does take years for this to enter into our heart and start to change our lives. But it does enter into our hearts, and it does change our lives. Uh, 
I will be speaking mainly out of Galatians 4, verses 1 to 20. I am not going to do expository verse by verse. I have decided today to just explain what's going on in these 20 verses. The change in Paul's tone, the whole change in the, the book of Galatians. I've read the book of Hebrews to give you a little background to what was going on over here, to compare Jesus Christ to empty ritual of the Old Testament. By now we realize that Galatians, Paul has been fighting for freedom. Freedom to worship God in faith in Jesus Christ. And there's been a bunch of people called Judaizers. They gave a false profession of faith in Christ. They were really Jewish. And they would go to all Paul's churches and they would try to reconvert Christians to become Jews. They would tell people that Paul was a false apostle. He didn't tell you everything. You, to believe in Jesus is good, but you also have to become more Jewish now. You have to follow Jewish laws, and you have to be circumcised, and so on and so forth. And we've been speaking about this for months, and the truth of the matter is, it should never get old. Because it's just, it's still going on today, it just takes a different form and a different shape. But people are still proselytizing a salvation by works methodology. And let me tell you, salvation by works methodology does not work at all. By no works of the law shall man be saved. Salvation comes solely through Jesus Christ. But something has happened in this chapter that has not taken place in the first three chapters. In the first three chapters, Paul speaks as an apostle. He speaks with the tone and the authority of God Himself. He speaks in a way to call people foolish. You've deserted God. He has cursed men for preaching a false gospel. He's cursed angels. He even cursed himself if he was to preach a false gospel. This is the tone. This is the man he spoke in. He spoke as a true apostle of God. He represented God. But in the fourth chapter, as we just read, something has changed. His tone has changed. He speaks as a father. He speaks as a pastor. A very concerned pastor, a very concerned father. It's a pastor's nightmare to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ only to start drifting into strange teachings and strange uh, experiences that have nothing to do with Christianity, that, that draw people away from the true gospel and, and do nothing to, to strengthen the heart. Hebrews chapter 10 says that they're strange doctrines. That they don't strengthen the heart. Grace and strengthens the heart. An understanding, a proper understanding of Jesus Christ, that's what changes a life. That is being changed by grace. To understand who Christ is and what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives. And Paul makes his turn in this chapter, and he's, he's speaking from the heart. And that's what I want to speak about today. And what I'll do, I'm going to pick this up, not in the first verse, because the first verse, what it says about it is, it's really picking up from verse 29 of chapter 3. But I'm going to start in verse 17. Let's read verse 17, please. When I find it, I will read it. He says this, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Something has happened to you. Paul finally gets behind the motivation of these false teachers. 
The motivation for these false teachers was not just to mislead the converts, these Gentile, non-Jewish believing converts in Jesus Christ away from Jesus to try to make them more Jewish. They were doing it out of their own pride, out of their own ego, so that people would make much of them. It was pride. It was religious pride. They were trying to win them over, win them back to Judaism so they can feel like they were the champions of Judaism. They were the champions of Moses. That's what is going on over here. That's what sets the tone for this fourth chapter. It really sets the tone for the whole book and we're going to pick up more of this on chapter 5 and chapter 6. But Paul sees in here something deadly, something dangerous, something poisonous, that these men are trying to win them over from Paul and from Jesus and back to Moses and Judaism, not for their own good, not because they care about their lives or their families' lives or their souls or their jobs or, or their minds or their sanctification or their moral life or for their better. They're only doing it for one reason. They're doing it for themselves. And how sad that is today that many religious leaders aren't overly, genuinely concerned for the flock of God. But yet they're concerned for numbers. Matter of fact, they're intoxicated with numbers. They love the masses. They love to hear things are going well. But are they genuinely concerned with the heart of the person? Paul, on the other hand, says, All I want, I'm like a mother in childbirth again. Until Christ is formed in you. You can hear the Apostle Paul. You can hear the heart of a true pastor. You can hear, this is a father saying, Why are you drifting away? I love you so much. I speak to my wife and we... She reminds me of a time of which I know. When she started smoking pot. And she knew her mother knew something was wrong. Her mother was losing her little daughter. What's wrong with you? You've changed. Something's changed about you. And many of us who have got caught up in the drug culture, we can remember drifting from the ones we loved. Because we got caught up in something. And the people that meant the most to us, that loved us the most, they, what's wrong with you? Something's wrong with you. And, and we lied and we schemed and we manipulated because we couldn't say that we're following a different way. Paul is basically doing that to the Galatian church. They believe in Christ because he came there and he preached Christ to them for no other motivation but that Christ be formed in him be formed in them, that they too would enjoy salvation, they too would enjoy forgiveness, they too would enjoy Abba Father, they too would enjoy singing to God, they too would enjoy living a free life from sin, they too would enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit, they too would enjoy justification by faith, full and free. That was his only concern. He says, I covet no one's money. I covet no one's clothing. I covet no one's silver. The only thing I want is you, your heart. That's preaching at its best. This is what Paul is combating here. 
It's not about technicalities. It's not just about going back to Moses and going back to something that don't work. We read that in Hebrews. That's why I read it. Hebrews says it doesn't work. It doesn't cleanse the conscience to serve the living God anymore. It doesn't perfect the worshiper. But that's what these Judaizers, these false teachers are trying to get to do, to go back to something that doesn't work. And that's why I read Hebrews to show you, if you go home and read the Hebrews, just read 8, 9, and 10, it says the Old Testament doesn't work. What these false teachers were trying to do is get them to go back to something that says, God says, it's over, it's done, it's finished. It served its purpose. It was a guardian at one time. It was a slave to you at one time. But the fullness of time has come now. And I've got something better. I've got the Son of God. That's what Christianity is. That's what Paul is fighting for over here. This is not just about who's right or who's wrong. This is about eternal life and Jesus Christ being glorified in someone's life. And how is Jesus Christ glorified in someone's life? By changing us from the inside out, just by faith. Why do we come to church? Why do, why do we give up sinning? Why do I give up things I used to love? There was a time I gave up things that used to hurt me because of the consequence. I've given up drinking. I've given up drugs. I've given up other things. There was a time before God I gave these things up. Why? Because they were damaging my life. But as a Christian, I give things up now because we love God. They are damaging to our life. But it's more about God now. It's not about just my life. It's about God now. That's Christ formed in you. That's how God is glorified. And is it done by Days and weeks and months? Is God on a calendar? Let me tell you something. God lived by a calendar in the Old Testament. We used to hear, well, God doesn't wear a watch. Let me tell you something. He did. It was the Sabbath. It was the new moon. It was the festivals. It was the, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the Feast of Pentecost. It was the Feast of Passover. I'll tell you now, God used the calendar. And that's what Paul is talking about. All of a sudden, you're observing days, weeks, months, and years. What are you, man? The Holy Spirit cries in you, Abba Father. Why are you going back to a time and a season where God wore a watch and used the calendar? Why not just say God's out for lunch and He doesn't have time for you today? Could you imagine there were times in my life if I have ever thought that God was out for lunch, I would have died. Am I the only one who has sat in a lonely place with tears running down his eyes? Am I the only one? Afraid of life? Afraid of how weak of a human being I am? Afraid of my next move? Afraid of every curveball in life? Am I the only one who's afraid of his own weakness? Are not we all aware of how weak and frail we really are? Would you want God to be out for lunch for a minute? Would you want to have to wait to the next Sabbath to cry out for God? Well, that's what these false teachers were doing. They were putting God back on the clock to worship Him on the Sabbath or to pray at noon or to pray at nine in the morning or pray at three o'clock in the afternoon but not to pray whenever you want it. The freedom we have in Christ is superior 
It, it goes beyond comprehension. And we read a little bit about the Old Testament to show you that there was a certain pattern and formula. It was mechanical, how to worship God. But that's the way God wanted it. And there's a reason God wanted that. Because there was a time that was coming where believers were going to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ, not slaves or children, under the rules and regulations of religious guardians, because they didn't know any better. That was the Old Testament of waiting. The Old Testament was a time of preparation to a much more liberating time was going to come, a spontaneous time when men will cry out from the heart, they love God. That's the time they were waiting for. When the whole world would have an opportunity to live like a son of God, both Jew and Gentile, male and female, rich and poor, black and white, makes no difference. That's the time when God sent forth the son at the right time, born of a woman and born under a law. God saved the best for last. And then he took his son and nailed him to a tree. And he lived under the law. And he lived perfectly under that law. Because Adam didn't live under the law. Adam failed. You fail and I fail. But Christ never failed. Christ, from every conscious thought to his last dying breath, he loved and obeyed God from the heart. He never ever failed. No, not once. And when a man is born again, we receive the spirit of his son, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. God is not transcendent. God is not out there somewhere. No, God is our Father. And if you're not familiar with that word, it has two meanings. A child would use it as we would do, and it means daddy. It's a sweet term of endearment. It reminds me of my father. I think we all have these memories. And it's not so much a technical word as an experiential word. Don't miss this. It means safety in your father's arms. I can still smell Old Spice. <laughs> this cheap stuff. Man, it was horrible, but to me, that's my father. It reminds me of my father, it reminds me of being safe. A five-year-old doesn't say I'm safe. Oh, daddy, I feel safe. Oh, daddy, you smell like cheap cologne. <laughs> but a five-year-old senses safety. A five-year-old needs to sense Safety. A father is meant to give safety. Abba. It also has another meaning. For everybody else in the household, Abba meant an authority in the house. A loving authority that should get the deepest respect and reverence. And when you marry the two together, that's what a Christian does. A Christian has the safety of God with all the due respect and reverence that God deserves. And you know why you have it? 
Because Christ came and lived it for 33 years. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, it says it clearly. We receive the Spirit of Christ by which we cry, Abba, Father. The same attitude that drove Christ to obey God from the heart is given to the Christian now. And that is what we are to cultivate. That is what we are to nurture. Sunday after Sunday, Monday after Monday, Thursday after Thursday, every day in our own personal prayer, our own personal devotions, and our own personal prayer time with other believers, we nurture this Abba Father experience. That is Christianity at its best. Paul is appealing to these Galatians. He knows they are on a wholesale rejection of Christianity. They are going back to something that just doesn't work. God is not in it anymore. God is in Jesus and that is it. And when we put our faith in Christ, and we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we receive that safety that you're safe in God's arms. Yeah, my life looks like it's still a mess. And things look like it's still crazy. And I got 20, no, 30, 50 burning fires in my life. I'm a financial wreck. I'm a physical wreck. I'm an emotional wreck. But I am no more a spiritual wreck. I'm a saved sinner by grace. And now I have the promise of God to come in and fix my life. And though things in life might not change, we will change. That is the promise of the scriptures. We will look at life differently. We will approach life differently. We will approach every interpersonal relationship differently. We will approach finances differently. We will approach evil people differently. We will approach our enemies differently. We approach every circumstance. We cry differently. We mourn differently. We hurt like the rest of the world, but we don't ever, ever hurt alone again. In every situation, no matter how hurtful it is, the Christian always has hope. He is never, she is never without hope. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 1 verse 3, he says, We've been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Religion, as we read in Hebrews chapter 9 and 10, doesn't cleanse the worshiper from sins. It's a constant reminder year after year of our failures. It's a constant reminder that we're, we're not there yet. And I keep on saying it, and I will keep on saying it until I get finally get finished with this book. Most religious people, as we know, people coming out of very orthodox backgrounds, whether Roman Catholicism or Greek Orthodoxy, unfortunately, they live between these two different worlds. They're, they don't think they're good enough to go to heaven. They're not sure. 
but they're certainly not bad enough to go to hell. And, and they're trying to live in this world over here, and they're trying to make it work. And it's, it's, just, it's a constant reminder that something's wrong, that something's not fixed yet, something's not working. And they're trying to work it out. It's sincere, it's from the heart, and they're trying to make it work. But they don't know that Christ has made it work once and for all. That faith in Christ gives absolutely perfect freedom and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And now we serve God through a living way, the Bible says. There is a joy to living for God. There's a joy for serving God. There's a joy for fulfilling the first and second commandment. As a matter of fact, you can't fulfill the second commandment, the first commandment, without partly filling the second commandment, without loving one another. That is part of the first commandment. We love God with all our heart. We love each other as ourselves. And this begins to take place and it's nurtured in our life and the weeks and the months and the years go by and we start to change. And yes, we are being shaped and we are being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. That's what every pastor labors for. Every true pastor, every true Christian church labors until Christ is formed in the congregation. That's our job. We desire nothing less, nothing more is that Christ be formed in you and you know the joy. When I get the phone call and say, Pastor, if you know what I did the other day, and I got into the car with tears and I turned on the radio and the first thing I heard was a song saying, but I forgive you, child, I forgive you, child. And the man's on the other side of the phone crying. The man in his 40s just crying like a child because God ain't given up on him. No matter how much he gave up on God, God is not going to give up on him. Ever. That's the Christian faith. That's what Paul was fighting for here. Paul was reminded him, I came was because of a bodily ailment I came and I preached to you. He had some sort of, it looked like maybe conjunctivitis. It was, it was horrible. He was, he was horrific to look at. But yet, he spoke so wonderfully about God that in spite of the way he looked, they didn't see the ailment. They just heard the message. And that's when you know the Holy Spirit is at work. It makes no difference what the messenger looks like. It is the message that saves. Not the messenger. Paul didn't speak well. He wasn't eloquent. He had some kind of deformity. He was hard to look at. He was not pleasing to the eye. But when he spoke, you knew God was in the house. I left my notes a long time ago. A long, long time ago. Please, my brothers and sisters. There are people today, as there were back then, who love religion. And they feel religiously fulfilled if they can get you to follow religion. If they can get you off the game and just come and worship this way. Do this for God. Do this on Sunday. Do this on Easter. Do this on Christmas. Do this on Good Friday. Do this and, and this will happen to you. Do this in this 40 day period. Do this. People love to follow religion. And if I can get you to follow religion, I feel like I'm doing my duty to God. Some things haven't changed. Understand something. 
in this one word that we are heirs with Christ. We will judge angels. We are co-heirs with Christ. There is nothing in the kingdom of God that God has not already given us because of our faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, what can we say? Could any man, any group of men, do justice to the truth of this passage of Scripture in such a short time? Lord, we thank you that you have given us freely of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that our sins are forgiven full and free because of our faith in Jesus Christ. For now we know we could never possibly be good enough or perfect enough or kind enough or considerate enough or gentle enough ever to be accepted into your kingdom nor your presence. But yet you accept all of us as we put our faith in Christ and we ask for forgiveness and we repent of our sins, Father. You give us with the Holy Spirit that wonderful, extraordinary experience that grows inside us of spontaneously living for you from the heart. A no-strings-attached relationship. It's beautiful, God. Thank you for calling us your children. Thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you for never ever giving up on us and we'll always be your children. We'll always be your children who have safety in you, an awareness, a confidence that you'll never leave us nor will you ever forsake us, a sense of hopefulness in every situation. God, I pray if there's any man or if there's any woman in this room that knows that they know they're not born again, that they know they're not saved and they desire complete forgiveness today, God. I pray you give them the opportunity to ask you into their life. If you are that person with every eye closed, Christianity is an invitation. Ask Jesus to come into your life. It's between you and him. Ask him for forgiveness and accept it. Once and for all, accept it. Now start to live a new life that God wants to give you. Father, I thank you for every soul that just accepted you into their life, Father. I thank you for washing away sins. I thank you for giving hope, Father God. I thank you for giving new life, Father. And I thank you for taking all of us and bringing us together today to worship you in spirit and in truth. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.